This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. There are billions of people in the world. Everybody is talking a lot every day. You know, voice communication is one of the most important methods for people to communicate. So it's interesting that people can search your email 10 years ago within seconds to find anything in your email history. But there's no way for me to search what I heard this morning. So that's why we started to work on this product. What if we are able to record everything and make everything searchable? Then I realized that actually once we have that information, the AI assistant can actually do a lot more than just transcribing and search. It can do a lot of analytics, can understand what the conversation is talking about, you know, can understand my emotion as well. We just realized there's so many more use cases. Good morning, good evening, hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of Manage Flitter and soon to be Manage Social. Man, Kate, we've been saying that for a long time, <laughs> but believe it or not, we are. I've got I've got one friend that keeps on saying, "What's happening with Manage Social?" It's I'm like, well, yes, it's you know, we we actually building on APIs is is pretty tricky, and and sometimes the social media players change their APIs, which means we have to take left turns, and we were actually delayed. By some Instagram API changes, just in case you're listening, we did get we did get a uh, email from a customer that you might have seen, Kate, saying, "What's happening to Manage Social? I'm I'm anxious to try it." So yeah, it's it is on its way, and Kate is responsible for a lot of the 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 juicy front end side of things when you do have a try. But anyway, Manage Flutter, Manage Social. I'm the CEO. Um, Kate is the design lead and does all sorts of bits and pieces. Kate's joining me as always from Whistler, Canada. It is Saturday the 11th of August for myself and Friday the 10th of August for Kate and probably sometime in the future for you. Thank you for joining us on the show. Kate, thanks for for joining as always. No worries. It's good to be back. How's, um, how's sunny Canada today? It's good. We've got about 33 degrees outside. So um, once I'm done for the day, I'm going to go and take a dip in the lake. That sounds good. We're having an unusually, I mean, winter in Sydney this year has just been unusually brilliant, sunny and windless and perfect. So I'm looking out over a very sunny Sydney harbour, another beautiful day. It's 18 degrees already, Kate. And it's going to be 23 degrees Celsius today. So um, not bad. Not bad for winter in Sydney. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's like a a summer's day in some parts of Canada. It is. <laughs> it is. I keep on thinking it's winter and wearing my winter clothes. And like an hour into the day, I'm like, I'm feeling really hot. And I'm <laughs> why? I'm like, well, anyway, enough about the weather. You didn't come to listen to our podcast to talk, hear us talk about the weather. As always, you can email us at podcast.itsamonkey.com. And uh, you can tweet us and you can follow us everywhere. We actually got a couple of people we need to get back to that email us pitching for us to be on the show. We will get back to you. And uh, later on in the show, I chat with uh, Sam Liang, who's the CEO and co-founder of Audit.ai. And Audit.ai is a fantastic app, um, a, uh, a audio recorder and transcription app, which I discovered when I was looking for an app to integrate voice recordings onto Slack, which Slack still don't have, 
the the native ability to um, record little voice clips, which I think they desperately, desperately need. It would be incredibly useful. And I discovered the audit.ai app, and I was so impressed that I reached out to Sam, and I was like, wow, awesome app. I'd love to chat you on the podcast. And Sam's a super smart guy. He's in the thick of Silicon Valley. He's ex-Google. We had a really interesting chat. So stick around for that chat later on in the show. As always in our industry, lots going on. So we cover a little bit of tech news to help you keep up to date. Kate is always the big social media networks, always something exciting happening there. Facebook, people got nervous this week because there were some rumors that um, Facebook wants to work very closely with the banks. And of course, be, because of all the, the data shenanigans and insecurities, people freaked out. And then they were like, I don't want Facebook touching my financial information. Tell us what's going on with Facebook reaching out to the banks. Yeah, so Facebook have started reaching out to some of the major banks in the US, so JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and basically just asking them for user data. They don't want to use it for advertising. They want to use it mostly to add data to Messenger bots so that users can ask questions to Messenger and they can get their account balance and like basic info like that. Um, so they're looking to they're looking to partner for that, but a lot of people don't have a lot of trust in Facebook, especially since uh, Cambridge Analytica. So it's just kind of a, a bit of a scare to a lot of people at the moment. But also what's kind of interesting is Google and Amazon have also been asking the banks for their data, but for different reasons. So it's just interesting the way that they're all wanting to use our data for banking. Uh, Amazon and Google have far higher trust than Facebook, though, as a general rule. Here's the thing. like I think one of these companies is going to have a go at becoming a bank. And, and I, in my opinion, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. We're interacting with these companies a lot. They've got a lot of our information already. Banks, I mean, every company these days is a technology company. These companies get technology, they get security. I mean, Google, as far as I know, has never had a security breach. Amazon with AWS, where where a ton of all the tech companies run on AWS, has never had a, a, a general security breach. They know, they know data. One of them is going to have a go at actually becoming a bank. This is my theory. I don't know. It's based on nothing, but... Um, you know, you have things like Apple Pay and Android Pay already, but none of them have actually taken the leap to, to start a bank. And there's lots of countries, Kate, like I know in Hong Kong, they've actually lowered the bar to becoming a bank. So you can, it's, in the old days, it was incredibly difficult to become a bank. You needed a ton of assets and pass a ton of legislative tests. But a lot of the companies are lowering the bar. So that's with the, with the idea to create more new age type of tech first bank so that there's more competition and, and, you know, stimulate the industry. So it'd be interesting to see, but yes, I mean, essentially, I mean, I wouldn't mind chatting with my bank through Facebook for customer service purposes. Um, instead of dialing through a crazy maze of phones and, and press one for this and two for that and get transferred for that. It'd be, if it worked, I would love to just be able to chat with someone on messenger at, at one of my banks in Australia. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it would be useful, I think, in this sense. So you're not actually talking to a person, you're just talking to a bot. Right. And the bots, the bots are getting pretty good, though, and especially the banks would have so much data. I mean, you could train these bots amazingly, right? Like, so they, they would get pretty good. I think so, but probably only for very basic things. I'm, I'm imagining I could just... So the whole idea is that Facebook are wanting you to spend more time on these apps. So if I'm already on Messenger messaging my friends, planning my night out, for example, 
I can open the bot uh, for my bank account and say, you know, how much do I have or how much is in this particular account or transfer from this account to this account. So I can do that all through the bot on Messenger rather than having to use separate apps and things. That would be somewhat useful, but at the same time, I, I personally still feel a little bit wary of that. Like, I don't know that, especially if I was doing actions like transferring, I don't know that I would trust that Messenger did that for me. Right. That it processed that action. Like, I want you to transfer $50 to my spending account. You know, when I do it in my banking app, I expect it to happen instantaneously. If I did it through Messenger, I'd be a bit wary at first. And you use Apple Pay, am I right? I, I used to. I do not anymore. What's the reason for that? Only because, which I should probably double check, in Australia, only uh, American Express and ANZ, so Australian New mm -hmm. Zealand Bank, offered Apple Pay, so all the other banks didn't. And I had a falling out with ANZ, and I took all my money out and put it in another bank. You and, had a falling out with them. <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't very happy with the, my level of customer right. service. So I took all my money out, right. and I went to right. a different bank, and... Okay, that bank's been great, except they do not have Apple Pay. Right. Yeah, I, th I think ANZ is the only commercial bank here that that uh, uses Apple Pay. I think from the rumors that I heard, Apple just wanted to take too much of a chunk out of the payments for the banks, and most of the banks just said, nah, forget it. Yeah. I think they did want a big chunk. But I remember you used to tap your watch, right? Yeah, it was great. It was actually great. You could just tap your watch, and it went ding. And that's how you paid. You didn't have to. You didn't have to bring out your credit card. You didn't have to pull out your wallet. Like it was super easy. I'm wondering whether I should look into whether my Canadian bank does it. They haven't advertised it, but um, but they might. In which case, I should probably set it up again. Yeah, I'm looking. Um, looking on my phone. If uh, I know there's been a lot of updates to Android Pay, but I haven't actually looked at it. I should look at it as well. But um, yeah, I know there are people love the tap and tap and go. On the on the watch and makes a makes a whole lot of sense. I, I'm the one thing I'm disappointed with Android is that um, there isn't a, a killer watch like there is with Apple. Mm. Apple, it. there's there's really a market for one of these brands to to take on. I mean, I'm surprised Google hasn't really cracked that. They don't seem to have put as much effort into the watch. I think they do have some sort of watches, but nothing as high quality as the as the Apple Watch. But um, yeah, look, I think Messenger Messenger is an amazing platform that Facebook's going to focus on. I think we're going to see a lot more experiments to integrate Messenger with all sorts of bits and pieces where um, it's going to become, they're going to try to to make it become the, the communication platform, um, the de facto communication platform for everyone. I know they've also announced some changes to WhatsApp. Um, some They've got some WhatsApp business accounts that uh, you pay a subscription to and has some extra functionality. I don't know exactly what that is. So Facebook are looking at finding new revenue streams because they, they're running out of humans on the planet to, to show a, a feed to. <laughs> so it's becoming a bit complicated for them to grow revenue, and that's why their share price collapsed recently because they said our revenue growth is slowing, even though they still every year they're still increasing their revenue, um, and the market freaked out by that. So we'll see a lot more on Messenger. We'll see a lot more on WhatsApp. We'll see a lot more on Instagram. And they're going to explore these revenue markets. Oh, for sure. Plus, I think Facebook itself, you know, it's, it's not going anywhere soon, but it's not as popular or as dominant as it once was. Yeah. Like I the, mean, the actual look. Facebook app, not the company, not the umbrella company, just Facebook itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
it doesn't it doesn't have the 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 freshness and the sexiness that it used to have that's for sure yeah yeah for sure so i think they're still going to be fine because they've got instagram and as you said whatsapp messenger all of them are really um doing well um, but the actual facebook app like they're trying but it's just I, don't, I get the impression it's floundering a little bit yeah look it's uh they've they've had challenges they've had challenges and um you know it's very fickle People are very, very fickle these days, especially the young demographics where they, they uh, made, you know, that was the, the initial wave. And the young demographic is cynical and fickle, so very difficult, very difficult to keep them engaged and happy. And we'll, you know, there will be, I, I think, and this is going to lead into our second story, you know, I was thinking that there's going to be a second wave of social media apps that basically have taken all the good that social media apps bring and work with all the bad that they bring, you know, in terms of freedom of speech and trolling and privacy and, and iterate. So I, mean, I think the whole industry somehow is going to iterate. It's probably going to be some, some small startup somewhere that's just going to cut through like mad, a little, little bit like Facebook did. I don't know when or where or exactly what that's going to look like, but I think, I think humans do want to connect. I think people are a little bit tired of the problems on the existing social networks. And then they, and if the right alternative comes along, they're going to jump on it. Oh, for sure. For sure. If somebody came along and solved all the current problems, everyone would move across. But it's getting that, as you said, it's getting it right amongst multiple demographics. Facebook's getting it right for like for older demographics, but like new millennials and younger, not so much. There was an angel investor in Silicon Valley, Jason Calacanis. He's quite, he's quite a well-known writer and conference host, etc. And I think he said he's correct. Um, don't take listener, don't take these details exactly, but I think he said that he's willing to dish out a couple of batches of a hundred thousand dollars to startups that want to take on Facebook. Really? So. Yeah, so I think I can't remember how many how many tranches, but I think he he was dishing out parcels of a hundred thousand dollars and said, if you're going to take on Facebook, here's a hundred thousand dollars. So that will probably give a developer a year's worth of runway to to give it a go. So people people are are trying to stimulate the industry, and I I don't think we've seen the end of social by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, people still. If anything, they've just become more entrenched and less uh, sort of less gimmicky. But let, let's talk about our, our next story, Kate, okay, before we get go too much down one of the tangents that we tend to go down. A lot of talk this week about Alex Jones is in for wars. Now, he's um, he's a um, I, don't, I don't know how I don't even know how to describe him without upsetting someone. But he's a controversial publisher. Let's put it this way. And all his content was pulled from Apple iTunes. His podcasts were pulled from Apple iTunes. His content was pulled from YouTube. And Twitter was the only one that, that has not killed his account. Tell us a little bit, give us a little bit of background and, and what this story is about. Yeah, so basically, according to the article I've been reading, people have been reporting his content for some time and nothing's really been happening. Uh, and then late last week, I believe, Apple pulled not all of his shows, but some of his podcasts from the App Store and from the podcast uh, app. And then quickly after that, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, and Pinterest followed. Yeah, yep. yep. right. so they all followed. 
So it, it went beyond just taking down his those podcasts to taking actually down his pages, his videos, his profiles. Um, so he's, you know, as the article said, he's going to war with Silicon Valley. So a lot of these apps, they cite that he's broken their terms of service and that's why they've pulled them down. But then there are others like Twitter who have still kept him around. And last I heard, Instagram also kept his profile up because they hadn't broken any rules there yet. But interestingly, MailChimp, MailChimp also uh, deleted his account and said he couldn't use it. Um, so Interesting. It, the whole thing's basically just a, a comment on freedom of speech on these platforms and and sort of that domino effect, you know, like Apple sort of said, okay, you're breaking our rules, and then everybody followed. Interesting. I mean, here's the thing, right? I've been thinking a lot about this. I mean, in my postgrad degree, we did a lot. We did a whole sort of unit on, on freedom of speech. And I, I found it fascinating because it is it is something that, that is complex and, and uh, there's a lot of considerations. But here's the thing that people forget. Firstly, they forget that these are private companies, right? These are private companies that even though they landing up playing a type of public service in a way and creating these public town squares, these virtual public town squares, so it feels like you know, it's, it's, they're doing a lot more than a, than a normal private company. They're not like the kebab store down the road. They're really much more integral to society. But they're still private companies that don't, uh, they, they, it's right of admission reserved. You know, when you go into a nightclub and it says right of admission reserved, and it's a, it's a, it's a similar type of thing. Like they got no legislative requirements to, to let everyone in on their platforms. I mean, that's the first thing. And I followed a lot of what Jack Dorsey, so the, the CEO of Twitter, you know, was under a lot of criticism this week because he didn't pull their accounts. And uh, he's been tweeting a lot about the inner discussions that have been happening around all sorts of issues at Twitter. And it's quite interesting. And uh, firstly, he said they've got to do more work around the policy. Second, he said they don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction because they want to try have some consistent application of their policies. So they don't want to just make executive decisions constantly because that that will lead to inconsistency. I sort of get that, but I also sort of get that in in my opinion, in this case, it's quite an obvious solution and one one uh, an obvious problem. And one point that Jack did make, or one of the Twitter people did make as well, is that the new policies they're going to be reworking the policies is going to consider the off-platform behavior, right? So if someone doesn't tweet anything bad but they go and do something bad in real life that's very clear that they, they will have a right to, to pull them from the platform. Now, in my view, that, that makes quite a lot of sense. But again, how do you enforce it? How do you police it? Who do you, who do you, who do you get to judge us? The fact of the matter is these platforms are going to have to use judgment. There is going to be subjectivity. And um, not everyone's going to like the choices that are going to be made. No, exactly. But you made a good comment about the the town square type thing. So a lot of people have said that Facebook should have, you know, they they should sort of be the police because they've got like 2.5 billion people logging in and they can sort of be, I don't know, the police or the gatekeepers. Um, but like Mark Zuckerberg's pushed back and he's uh, he's arguing that he can't do that because then it would also affect the way he deals with, for example, terrorists and extremists content as well. So, yeah, he can't necessarily follow what they call in the First Amendment. Otherwise, he'd be breaking some of the rules that actually help the platform survive and make it a good place for the rest of us. 
It's such a such a tricky issue because freedom of speech is core to so much about the power of these platforms. But when freedom of speech goes wrong, and and it's something I think we all inherently have a sense of. We have a sense when freedom of speech just goes too far. And even the laws, a lot of people forget that most countries actually do have laws that prevent freedom of speech in certain situations. You cannot incite violence in most countries. It's illegal. You can't go out and say, I want to bash, you know, group X of people, you know, so, you know, in that sense, freedom of speech is curtailed. You can't racially vilify a group in Australia. Um, that's illegal. So in, in most countries, there are limits of freedom of speech. And we just got to work out on these platforms where the freedom of speech limits need to happen as well. And I think this is the process that's that's happening at the moment. I think the platforms hate this issue. These platforms all were built out of technology. They 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 technocrats, they tech first companies. They, they for many years they were like, we just provide the platform. That's all we do. What goes on there, it's freedom of speech. We just we we're not media companies, we're not broadcasters. And they've been dragged into this role, kicking and screaming, because they really don't want this. And you can even just see how it's taken so long, so long. How, how many years has trolling been going on on, on Twitter? Mm. You know, it's, it's for ages. And, and it's only recently that they've, you know, acknowledged they haven't done enough around this. So they've been dragged into this role, kicking and screaming. And, and I'm surprised the government's, haven't I know there was the Senate inquiry and and he faced Mark faced the you know the in the UK and but I'm surprised the governments aren't putting a little bit more pressure or even working with them working with the platforms to sort out the trolling and the bullying and uh, the the obvious conspiracy theories and 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 all of that so yeah I mean I. I, I, I think it's I think this is a bit of a, a turning point all of this I think we're going to I think this is we're heralding a new phase of uh, social media sort of uh, you know how can I say people you know the, the platforms are now are, are going to get a lot stronger with with uh, minding what's going on on their platforms because uh, they've survived Alex Jones being yanked on it and I think and this is what people are scared of there's the talk about the slippery slope. You know, there were people who say, oh, it's a slippery slope. You, you yank Alex Jones off and then there's someone else you don't like and then there's someone else you don't like. And, and eventually it's just only people that Facebook like that are left on the platform. But I, I don't think I think we're a long way from that. I think I think yanking one person that obviously pushes, in, in my view, crazy conspiracy theories that Sandy Hook was staged and and all that stuff. I mean, you know, it's but yeah, not not easy issues. No, definitely not. Not easy to solve. But yeah, as you said too, a lot of these people when they, you know, these CEOs and founders, they don't necessarily go into this thinking that their app's going to be as big as it is. They go in thinking, oh, I'm just going to, just going to play with this idea and see how good it is. And then it sticks. And next thing you know, they have this kind of power and they're really not too sure what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all, there's a lot of unintended consequences. I mean, you know, the whole influencing the elections on Facebook and Russia getting involved and also the fact that these bubbles, you know, it's been proven that people will join groups and people will follow media that they agree with. So so in the old days when you'd sit for 7 p.m. for the nightly news, you couldn't really choose the flavor of news that you wanted. Sometimes you'd have to watch things you didn't agree with and didn't like. But now we can all just watch news we agree with. And this, I believe, is one of the reasons why we're becoming more so polarized because people are going much deeper into their own point of views. 
I see it on Facebook, right? I see it on Facebook when, when people start disagreeing with each other, they just unfriend each other, boom. So you land up with friends, everyone's landing up in these little silos of agreement, right? And, and so we get more polarized and we're forgetting how to live in a world of difference. That's my, that's my Gandhi quote for the day. <laughs> Makes sense though. I've never really thought about it like that, but um, I definitely like people choose, for example, they choose what radio stations they want to listen to and opinions mm-hmm. they want to follow, definitely. But, yeah, that's a good point as well that people just, when they have an argument or they don't like someone's point of view, they just delete them on Facebook, which means you don't get to see that. You don't get to see the debate. You only get to see people's point of view that's the same as yours. Or as, like, you know, I could probably say I'm guilty of too, you don't end up saying anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you don't want to be upsetting anyone, so you just don't post to Facebook anymore. Look, I, I get involved in debates on Facebook. I, I, I stay mindful. I, I talk to the topic. And my, my opinion has always been if someone posts something on Facebook, it's fair game, right? You can, you can chat about it. But, yes, when it comes to a sensitive topic around nutrition or politics or, you know, the wheels can come off, boy, so quickly. Yeah. And I think these platforms could somehow help. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how. But if they if – they, I mean, in theory, if they could create this, this civil discourse where we learn how to talk about topics that we disagree with. I mean, that's the whole premise of freedom of speech, right? It's, and, and that's even the whole premise of this deliberative democracy where we stand in parliament and we debate with each other and disagree. And through all of this debate and disagreement, some sort of middle path and truth emerges. But I don't know if social media is working out like that. It's more like we just land up going to war with each other the whole time. It's true. It's true. And when you don't like them, you get rid of them. Yeah. 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 Which uh, is not really how the real world works. But it's a big topic and it's going to be really interesting to see where it all where it all sort of goes and, and pans out. And uh, I, I don't envy – I tweeted earlier this week – I don't envy that these platforms having to try work – work out this middle path it's it's really not an easy thing to do and of course they're getting accused of being conspiratorial themselves because silicon valley tends to be you know more left-wing and and there's and these people tend to be you know people like alex jones tends to be more right-wing so then it feeds on it and and so it goes so it goes that's the the world in 2018 unintended consequences are always the challenge or as Nassim Taleb, he's an amazing sort of economist author, he talks about the black swan, these big events that no one predicted that have very significant impact. So uh, there's a, a lot of these these unintended consequences. You've been listening with uh, Kate Rappel, Kevin Garber. We work for a little social media management company called uh, Manage Flutter. Thankfully, Kate, we don't have to deal with these issues. We just provide tools for people, and we, we have to follow the terms of service of Twitter. So... Um, you know, we, we, we a little bit, it's a little bit easier for us. Well, that's a good question too, though. If let's say hypothetically, Alex Jones was using Manage Flitter to tweet or to schedule content on Twitter. And I know Twitter don't have a problem with him at the moment, but let's say they did. Mm-hmm. Do you also ban his account or do you leave that to Twitter? I've thought about this a lot because we have had some customers, we have a lot of little customers, uh, Twitter users, 
And every now and then I pop in and I see who signed up recently. And it's, you know, uh, when you've sweated bullets to create something, you never get bored of people finding value in what uh, you and your team have created. So I, I follow that. And um, sometimes the accounts are, are interesting. Let me put it to you this way. And I've thought about it, right? I, I, I'm quite a, I'd like to think of myself as a very principled guy and try to be authentic. Firstly, we've got so many little users, it would be almost impossible to, to know how to police it. Like, you know, wh where do I begin? Where do we begin? Where do we start? So I've taken the point of view, if Twitter, if Twitter lets them through, they got their policies. And if they are around on Twitter, well, it's fair game, you know, so I've just taken, I've just defaulted to that. I don't think Alex Jones, I was thinking of double checking. I don't, I don't think He's a user, but we, we have had and we do have some politicians, some some pretty high profile politicians that um, in America that do use our platform. It would be interesting. I'd probably just leave it because, again, our policy at the moment is just to defer to Twitter. Mm -hmm. In the email marketing days when uh, I owned a small digital agency that specialized in email marketing, there was only one customer I actually ever ever sort of got off the email marketing platform. They were sending out very hardcore adult content, and it wasn't a moral judgment. It was more a case of um, we had a lot of corporate customers at the time, sort of big, you know, standard recruitment companies, finance companies, and it just, it just, I just, it just didn't fit with sort of the the tone of the target market we were trying to create. And I gave them a list of competitors, and I said. You know, look, there's nothing personal, just, and uh, they did get quite upset, but um, I, I felt it was the right decision at the time. I was actually mainly concerned if our, our conservative customers would find out about that we were servicing, um, you know, more controversial industries that they would get unhappy. And these, and this customer was a very, very small customer. So I really was looking after our big customers and not trying to cause any problem with our big customers. And at that time, and that business had a, a few customers as opposed to a few bigger customers as opposed to managed Flutter that's got a lot of little customers. But yes, I have thought about it. Twitter is one of the platforms that allows, you know, much more free reign, for instance, adult performers and, you know, adult content. Twitter actually allows it where I think Instagram doesn't. Am I correct in saying I don't think Instagram allows nudity or anything like that? Uh, Facebook, I don't think. Probably censor it, I would say. Yeah, can't say I've seen too much of it. You do get random ads, but those accounts, I don't think they last very long. And it's very obvious that they're some kind of spam. Right. Yeah. So I think Twitter's actually one of the most open ones as far as I remember. I think they they do allow those type of accounts, which is unique on social media. I'm not quite sure why they and, and why they feel the need to, but they've obviously made a a judgment call. So yeah, interesting, interesting times. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Kevin Garber and Kate Frappel. You can email us, you can tweet us, drop us a line, podcast at itsamonkey.com. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And after the break, we're going to play my interview that I did with uh, Sam Liang, who's uh, the CEO and co-founder of Otter AI. Super smart guy, super interesting app. So you'll enjoy that interview. Stick around. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. 
Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used Manage Flitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast where we talk about everything related to technology, startups, entrepreneurship. And a few weeks ago, I was searching for an app that integrates with Slack to allow me to make audio recordings. Um, We put a lot of text updates. We've got a distributed team, so Slack is one of our main tools. And uh, each team member puts an update a couple of times a day. And I wanted to have the option of creating an audio update that I can just pop in the channel and I can every now and then break it up with an audio or video update. And I was searching around for apps and I stumbled upon an app that was really interesting. It was called, or it is called, Otter. And um, it was an interesting audio recording app that had um, an automatic transcription um, feature tied in. So you would record um, your audio and it would transcribe on the fly. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I started using it. The UI was really good. There was a lot of interesting polish to the product. So um, I looked up where this product was from and who was behind it. And I actually tracked down the the co-founder and the CEO, and I've dragged him on the podcast. So I'm I'm very happy to say I've got Sam Liang from uh, Silicon Valley Central. He's on the end of my Skype line. Sam, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Kevin. Um, Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I I saw the, I love your name. It's a monkey because uh, under uh, Chinese uh, uh, Zodiac, I'm actually a monkey myself. And uh, yeah, I always love monkey. Nice. Yeah. I, you know, the the name of the podcast is Lost in the History of the Company. I can't quite remember why we named it that. I think it had something to do with the fact we didn't want to we didn't want to use word the the word tech in the podcast because it's just so overused and we weren't quite sure where the podcast, you know, what it would land up being. So we just came up with a, a generic type name that was that was a little bit different. So the as far as I can remember, it's it was quite a long time ago we started the podcast. But let's talk about Otter. You Firstly, I mean, the name, you obviously, you like animal names too, right? You named it Otter. Oh, yeah. Otter um, is a, you know, very adorable uh, animal. And most people don't know that uh, Otter is actually one of the smartest animals in the world. Otter has very high intelligence. They uh, can learn to use tools. On YouTube, the people are showing uh, otters uh, playing basketball uh, after they uh, taught them to play basketball. They have amazing memory as well. They, uh, there's a lot of uh, studies that show that otter can learn things you teach them uh, many years ago. They, uh, uh, many years later, when they test them, they, they still know it. So that's one of the reasons we uh, picked the name otter for our product. So. We released a product just a few months ago. Officially, actually, we only two months ago we released the the general available uh, GA release on May 9th. Yeah, since then we've got a lot of uh, a lot of attraction, a lot of uh, 
adoption of this app. Uh, we we're getting a lot of uh, user feedback as well. Just a, two, a couple of days ago, we learned that uh, Mashable actually selected Author as one of the seven best apps uh, in uh, 2018. Fantastic. So, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Now, Sam, why did you choose voice recording and transcription as the, prod the problem that you wanted to solve? It's a long story. Uh, just a quick background, if uh, you're interested. I, I used to work at Google. I was the lead of Google Map Location Service back in 2006 and 2010. Uh, if you remember 10 years ago, 2007, when Steve Jobs launched the first iPhone in 2007, they actually came to us to ask for help. We provided Google Map for iPhone 1. Mm -hmm. One important feature is to show the location of the user. That's a, uh, the well-known blue dot on Google Map that shows your current location. That's the, the feature actually our team created. I was the lead of a location platform at that time. So I left Google in 2010 to start my first startup in Palo Alto, uh, also you know, just uh, uh, three miles from uh, where we are right now. And uh, that company uh, did um, uh, uh, mobile user context. Uh, basically, it tracks the location and tracks a lot of sensors on uh, your smartphone to understand user behavior. So that company was later successfully acquired by Alibaba. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked with them for a couple of years, and I decided to leave and move on, um, uh, try to do something else. But then I realized that, you know, I have this uh, big pain point that I, I keep forgetting things. Although, you know, I, I have a lot of meetings every day as a, as a, a founder because, you know, I need to talk to VCs, I talk to uh, partners, talk to potential customers. So I have all these meetings every day, but it's just uh, so difficult to remember everything. Then I think about it, you know, probably not just myself uh, who is having this problem. You know, there are billions of people in the world. Everybody is talking a lot every day. You know, voice communication is one of the most important methods for people to communicate. So it's interesting that people can search your email 10 years ago within seconds to find anything in your email history, but there's no way for me to search what I heard this morning. So that's why we started to work on this product. What if we are able to record everything and make everything searchable? Then I realized that actually once we have that information, the AI assistant can actually do a lot more than just transcribing and search. It can do a lot of analytics, can understand what the conversation is talking about, you know, can understand my emotion as well. We just realized there's so many more use cases once um, we provide this enabling platform. So let's just talk quickly about the transcription side of things because transcription has been around for a long time, voice recognition. I mean, I remember first hearing about it it must have been even late 90s with, mm. with the Dragon products. Right. right? Now, yeah. now transcription is probably the type of um, problem, correct me if I'm wrong, where it's, it's easy to get 60 to 70% right, but that final 
30 to 40% is really, really hard, right? Yes, that's totally true. You mentioned Dragon. It's uh, created by a company called Nuance. It's a company that has been the leader in the speech recognition for the past 15, 20 years. However, you know, you don't hear about Nuance very often these days. Mm-hmm. It's because they, they did well uh, before, but they didn't move to the AI era fast enough. Mm-hmm. In the last, you know, I would say four to five years, the technology has been completely changed in terms of uh, the way we do speech recognition. Now it's everything is based on deep learning. Uh, in the past, they used some uh, traditional method based on, you know, GMM and some other old method to do speech recognition. That's why they sort of hit a ceiling in terms of accuracy. Uh, it's very hard for them to continue improving the accuracy. Just a few years ago, a product like Otter is actually not very practical. You know, as you mentioned, you could get to 60%, 70%, even 80% accuracy, but it's extremely hard to get even higher uh, accuracy. So I'm, I'm watching a live transcript. You're using the product now uh, to record our chat and you've screen shared it with me and I've been watching the product create a transcript on the fly dynamically, right? And the accuracy is unbelievable. Now I have to say that I've got a little bit of an accent. It's a hybrid South African, Australian <laughs> accent. You've got a little bit of an accent and the product just seems to be ticking along in quite a remarkable way. I've seen a few little errors, but they're quite minor. It's, it's, quite, it's quite fascinating. Am I correct in saying it actually corrects words? It pops in a word and then somehow works out the context and it actually changes it? Yes, uh, you're right. Behind it is actually pretty sophisticated. The AI behind it, uh, if you use a neural network, you know, deep learning neural network with multiple layers, and uh, uh, thousands of uh, neurons. The uh, it, it can it's composed of you know several separate models. Uh, the the major ones are called uh, one is called uh, acoustic model. Mm-hmm. It handles transforming you know sound into phonemes. Uh, it actually break down a sound into you know phonemes like um, vowels and the pronunciation like a the uh, um, you know. The phonetics. Yeah, the the very tiny chunk of uh, the sound. Then uh, it tries to figure out, it also uses a language model to figure out, you know, based on these phonemes, which words make the most sense, which one uh, matches the best. It's very challenging because everyone's pronunciation is a little different. Mm. And the volume is different, the frequency is different, um, you know, this, the, the, the pace is different. Somebody speaks really fast, somebody speaks a little slower. And uh, I, as you mentioned, I have my uh, accent. So uh, this is why we need to, you know, actually collect, I would say thousands of, uh, well, hundreds of thousands of hours of training data to do a lot of deep learning training to build our acoustic model and language model. The language model takes more, you know, pays more attention in terms of the uh, common phrases. Uh, we call it n-grams to uh, understand 
you know, which words usually are used are usually used together. You know, you know, when you say "How are you?", you know, that's a very common three-word phrase. So there's a lot of uh, mathematics behind it to calculate the probability of each word, the probability of each combination uh, in the right context of the sentence. So that's why, you know, while we are doing, we're talking, it is actually constantly correcting itself based on what, uh, you know, it hears later. You know, uh, it, it can correct something earlier based on what, what I'm saying right now. And I think people, and I think it's a fantastic example of, of artificial intelligence and, and machine learning in the sense of it's getting better the whole time, right? And this is the whole big deal of artificial intelligence that I think, you know, I think my friends get a little bit bored of me talking about, you know, explaining to them how the world is going to be so different in 10 years time is because it's not the static nature of, of technology where it's been iterative based on humans pushing it and evolving and developing it is, is, is totally going to shift to the systems iterating themselves based on learning from experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. The, the reason AI is so powerful is that it is actually constantly learning and improving itself. Uh, the more you use it, uh, the more data it hears or the more data it acquires is actually taking advantage of all the new data uh, based on also based on the feedback people give it it's actually constantly learning constantly cumulatively improving the accuracy improving the understanding of things so it's you know it's similar to the way a human being learns things, right? You know, when a baby starts to learn words, you know, he or she, you know, it's just, you know, listens and based on the response, based on the experience, and he or she just slowly, incrementally learn new new words and new sentences and uh, learn uh, new meanings. You know, for us, you know, we can, in a training phase, we really inject, as I mentioned, hundreds of thousands of hours of data into the model. So it already had a big foundation to start with. But then when the users use it, when thousands or even millions of users use it, they keep in injecting new data into the system. So that the model will you know, keep crunching on that new data and learn from new accents, you know, the new combination of words, you know, which combination have a higher probability. It's also context-based. You know, people, it's, this is why a one general model may not work for everybody, right? It based on your, um, your domain of your expertise, you know. And for example, doctors, they use a lot of words that normal people don't use every day. And, you know, for computer scientists, they have their high probability words, you know, that a salesperson don't use. So, you know, this, this is also, you know, why this is so complicated. And it also is why this is so interesting for us to work on, because there are just so many different things, so many different problems that we have to solve. You know, I, I'm an engineer myself. I got my PhD from Stanford. Uh, 2003, so I, I love, you know, hard problems. You know, this kind of problems are very, very uh, attractive. And um, and because of AI, it's actually, 
it's practical to to attack these problems. You know, 10 years ago, this is just too hard to solve. But these days, we see the effect, we see the benefit from AI. So, Sam, uh, I've been watching as you're talking again, and I've picked up a few little errors. Um, mm. Can you, are you happy to say what percentage of accuracy? Because we've in the past had humans transcribing a podcast, and depending on the service you get, it can be, I don't know, 50 bucks to 300 bucks or something, and the, the length, and, you know, it's pretty pricey, I guess, but obviously their accuracy is pretty high. You have a human listening to it and, and typing away. What would you say currently is the accuracy of a transcription of a t- discussion like you and I? Yeah, between you and I, right now, I would estimate around 90% accuracy mm-hmm. or even higher. I think most of the words are correct. I would say maybe even ninety three percent. I think I think based on what I've been looking at, because I've been I've been watching it the whole time, I would probably, and this is totally non scientific, but I would probably say about ninety five to ninety seven percent. So it's which is incredibly high for such a complex. W- one thing I would like I would like it to identify the different speakers. That would be pretty cool if you could put in the name and it would just pop in when it's my voice and pop in when it's your voice into the transcription, it would actually label it. That would be nice. Yes, we actually have that technology. Uh-huh. Uh, um, right now, it's actually, we will do that in after the, right now we're not able to do it in real time yet, although uh-huh. we're working on that technology. Uh-huh. It currently, after the meeting is finished, we separate algorithm that runs mm-hmm. um, oh, okay. that separate the speakers I'm showing you a uh, past meeting we had with TechCrunch this one is automatically labeled uh, with the, the speaker name you see the Sarah Perez is uh, the reporter who gotcha. interviewed us and um, uh, this is myself so it's actually separated and labeled once you teach the system your voice with a couple minutes of your speech, our system generate a, a voice profile or voice print for each speaker. So then it use that voice print to uh, rematch the rest of the conversation. Then it can identify for each sentence who the speaker is. Fantastic. It's, uh, yeah, but it does a little bit of processing and just tags it. And yeah, we forget that doing these things on the fly is quite remarkable. To have an on the fly transcription service um, with a 97% accuracy for, for someone like me that comes from, that remembers the world of the first generation of tra- automatic transcription services is, is, is quite remarkable. Sam, talk to us. A lot of people are fascinated by AI, machine learning, robotics, um, 3D printing. You know, I, I think there's going to be a coming together of all these technologies, I don't know, between one year to 10 years time where it's going to be an absolute seismic shift on society like we've never seen before. You obviously much deeper in this industry than I am and you're actually creating tools upon all these um, you know, frameworks and technologies. 
what are your thoughts about where society is heading and what's, where are probably some of the areas that are going to be the first to be disrupted and transformed and, and significantly changed based on AI, etc.? Oh, you know, AI, obviously, it's, um, you know, it's, it has been in the news for a while, and uh, there's tremendously wide range of industries or domains uh, or products AI is going to uh, disrupt, right? Um, you, know, you, you know, the self-driving car is a big sector there. You know, it, it's automating driving, right? It, it's, it's not perfect yet, it's, you know, but... I have friends uh, who work at a Google Waymo for many many years. You know, it's it's getting better and better. Tesla already has you know autopilot. You know, although you know, it, again, it's not perfect, but I believe it's already better than human driver. You know, it doesn't fall asleep. It doesn't drink uh, alcohol, right? So for ourselves, you know, right now we're focusing on the speech part. You know, there's still a lot more to do. You know, you see the accuracy is already good. You know, understanding the conversation is still challenging. You know, it can get the words, but it doesn't, the machine doesn't really understand what you're talking about. So, you know, it's, it's still a big question. What does understanding mean? Right? You know, when you ask a question, does it mean, uh, does the machine know what you're, you're, you're asking? Well, when you ask Google a question, Google could, you know, search the, the, the answer for you. But, you know, does it really understand what, what you're asking about? It's still a, you know, a, a question. Medical, it, it's, a, it's a huge domain that AI can help. How do you diagnose cancer, for example? We have, we have seen a lot of studies that show that having an AI algorithm to read radiology images, it can dramatically help doctors. There's a lot of deep learning training that train uh, AI algorithms to uh, look at a, uh, you know, for x-ray or uh, MRI image and any other radiology images and diagnose disease. You know, by itself, it's actually the accuracy is not as good as a very experienced doctor yet, but they, they found that when they combine the, the, the AI and a real a human doctor, the accuracy is actually higher than the uh, doctor himself. I once, read a, I once read a study a few years ago, um, which might yield different results these days, but it was uh, some AI type of um, diagnosis and um, recommendation for treatment tool for cancer. And they compared the results from this tool to a human doctor results and the identification was almost exactly the same but where where the machine really pulled ahead was recommending treatments for rare and unusual cancers and situations because of course the the AI system has got access and can analyze these fringe treatments or experimental treatments on mass happening around the world whereas the human doctor is obviously much more limited in their, their scope of, of uh, you know, knowledge and understanding. So that, that's really where the machines quite excelled, was matching treatments to unique and specific situations. This, this research was a little bit, uh, a few years ago, so this might have all shifted a little bit by now, but it was interesting nonetheless. Yeah, 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 that's, that's totally true. For us, actually, you know, one of the applications or one of the use cases for our application is actually 
will be related to medical as well. You know, one of our our passion, well, the motivation is that, you know, what if I use a device that just uh, listen to my voice all the time, uh, constantly? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, of course, you know, we're very keen on security and confidentiality and privacy. It doesn't mean it's you're sharing with people on the uh, on social media or anything but by just listening your voice all the time it's actually can the the ai will be able to detect a lot of things you know just uh, you know simple things like how many words you say every day can actually it's a good indicator of person's emotion it's actually you know if you look at uh, ask some psychologists or psychiatrists there there are a good correlation between people's emotion and the number of words they say every day and the pace they they they, they say it, the the emotion you know are they happy are they uh, you know depressed are they uh, angry you know what what percentage of your time are you are you uh, angry you know or <laughs> this actually can be detect uh, detected by listening well, let's, uh, let's, so you brought up that, that word, which is the, definitely the buzzword for this year, privacy. You guys are obviously all cloud-based when you um, record something and it transcribes, it's sitting in the cloud. If people are to use your product for board meetings, medical purposes, legal purposes, I mean, what type of um, you know, privacy can you offer your customers in terms of uh, the security and the integrity of their transcriptions? Yeah, yeah, we take it very seriously. You know, all this data is obviously owned by the user. We don't own it. The user has the full control of the the data. You know, if they want to move it away, erase it, we we definitely have to erase it. We will erase it completely. Uh, It is encrypted. You know, the user has to control again. The general model is similar to other cloud-based services like Evernote or Slack mm-hmm. uh, or Zoom. You know, the, the general model is similar. You know, the data is stored in their cloud, but, you know, they, they want to make sure just for, the, for these businesses, you know, they, they, they're now sell, they're not trying to make money by selling your data, right? They, they make money by selling their, their general services. So actually for themselves, they have to make sure their, their reputation is not tarnished by leaking users' data. So actually, it's, 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 you know, we are incentivized and we are, you know, for, for, for our company to survive, we have to protect the, the privacy. You know, if we leak the data, it, you know, nobody trusts us anymore. And it's a subscription service, right? I think. I think. Um, I yeah, think we make I'm money par- by. But yeah, we make money by taking a subscription. And um, are you guys venture funded, Sam? Oh yeah, we are venture funded. You know, there there are quite a few high profile VCs behind us. One of them is Team Draper. Uh-huh, of course. Um, Team Draper. He's a big, big Bitcoin evangelist as well. Tim Draper, right? He, he is, I would say he's very visionary. He's uh-huh. very adventurous. He takes big risk. He's the first investor in Tesla, actually, many years ago to bet on uh, Elon Musk. He actually uh, invested in my first startup after I left Google. Uh-huh. 
Um, so uh, I've got pretty good relationship with him. This is actually uh, um, Tim Draper here wearing the uh, Otter T-shirt. Nice. He was in yeah. he, he was in Sydney about a year ago, by the way, and I went to a talk of his. Mm. Um, so I think he's 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 got some relationships with some investment companies here, and a super smart guy. If, uh, yeah. if you're listening to the show and you you want to listen to some very smart tech VC sorts, um, look up Tim Draper's. Um, those are great photos of Tim. I'm yeah. looking at Tim Draper looking at looking at some some Otter. otters. Yeah, these are otters uh, because we had our launch party in the San Francisco Aquarium by the Bay, mm -hmm. where they have live otters swimming around. Uh, so we had our author launch party two months ago there, and uh, Tim Draper came and gave a speech and um, told his story using otter. He actually a big fan of the otter app. He uses the otter app for all his uh, founder pitches because he's such a high-profile VC, uh, everybody wants to pitch him and get his money. So he used Otter to record all those pitches. And for his uh, board meetings, he uses Otter too. So he, he's a big fan and he really believes it, in this. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge vote of confidence to have such a high-profile um, investor in, in, in an app like yours. I mean, what's... Uh, What's the next stage for you guys? Is it just iterating, 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 and just building out the product? Yeah, there are a couple of different things we're doing. You know, uh, we need to continue improving the accuracy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot of challenges when there are background noise, when there are multiple people speaking. You know, we want to further increase the accuracy better match a people's voice. When you have 10 people talking, it's actually not very easy to, even for a human ear, it's actually, uh, if you don't see their face, it's not very easy to tell who is talking, mm. uh, unless you're really familiar with their voice. So all those things, and also better understanding of the conversation, you know, we're building a new feature to summarize summarize that's, that's interesting conversation you know if you, <laughs> that'd be, that, that's a super interesting feature yeah if you look at this one uh when we were talking to the tech country reporter uh -huh. on the top you see a list of keywords these are actually automatically generated by our algorithm hmm. it you know this is the summarization keywords you know without seeing the rest of the transcript you can already guess what we were talking about so we're, you know, th this is already available in Otter today. We're building more sophisticated summarization to recognize action items, for example. You know, my, my request, which I touched on in our pre-interview chat, I would like a voice recorder that's optimized for Slack. We use Slack a lot, and I think Slack's great that it's predominantly text and images and links. But it would be fantastic if there was a, a voice recorder that integrated incredibly tightly with Slack. Now, I know there's the, the conflict and Slack might be building out their own sort of feature, etc. But I, I still think there's room for an, a third-party product that does that incredibly well with lots of options, lots of integration. So that's my, my personal request is to integrate very well, very thoughtfully, very tightly with Slack. Mm. 
Yeah, that's. Um, I totally agree with you. That's uh, one thing we uh, we want to work on as well to embed uh, to integrate better with Slack so that the uh, playback experience uh, will be much better integrated inside Slack. Uh, you don't have to leave the app to listen and uh, to see the transcript. And, and also, I think to be able to record and make it accessible very quickly, similar to like that WhatsApp does. When you record a voice message on WhatsApp, the person gets it almost instantly. It would be good in Slack if you could hit record on on or just put you know forward slash otter, have a record button, record, boom, it's it's there, ready to be listened in line. But I'm sure you guys. We'll get there. It sounds it sounds like you've got a strong a strong uh, sense of product. What's what's the size of your team currently, Sam? We're still very small. You know, it uh, we have uh, twenty people here. You know, but everybody, I would say, everybody is superstar. You know, it's a very small team, and uh, most people actually don't believe us uh, when we told them we have only twenty people. Actually, uh, uh, even less uh, full time people. Some of them are consultants this with this product you know this it's um it has very sophisticated sophisticated algorithms and um, uh, speech engines behind it and it takes a, a lot of effort to build the um you know the ios app the android app and the um the web applications and you know we i think i mentioned to you zoom video conferencing they actually uh, licensed our technologies fantastic um, Zoom actually provides this uh, to their customers to, 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 to generate a meeting transcript automatically. So we, we, we are scaling up the business. You know, we are, uh, another actually interesting use case is universities found this useful because there are already a few universities actually contacted us after they saw the author product. One immediate use is that for the universities, they have every university have some students who cannot hear well. Mm -hmm. Either they are completely deaf, mm -hmm. or they cannot hear very clearly. So universities actually have the responsibility to provide note takers for those students. That's expensive and difficult to organize, and a logistical nightmare and a pain for them. But obviously, an important problem to solve for those students. Yes. So they found Otter will be really convenient for them. You know, it's uh, so, you know, those are um, good use cases. And also, you know, we see enterprise, a lot of enterprises uh, would like to use this because they have so many meetings to track. And also we, we provide a um, collaboration uh, system that's similar to Slack channels. Inside Otter, you can actually create groups mm -hmm. very similar to channels that, you know, for a product team, they have their uh, Otter group so that all the meetings related to products are shared inside that group. You know, suppose one day you cannot attend the meeting, but, you know, your colleagues share that a meeting recording inside the Otter group. You can listen to it or you don't have to spend one hour to listen to everything. You can just look at the transcript, which you know you can read much faster, and or you can search the transcript to find the the only five minutes you're uh, you're interested in, so you don't have to listen to you know the whole sixty minutes. So Sam, tell us tell us briefly, just backtracking a little bit. Um, you worked 
quite a while at Google. It was a little while back. I think Google's had a few iterations itself since then and a few restructures. And But um, what was your experience working like at Google? A lot of people are very intrigued about um, this fascinating company that, that drives the world. That's, that's a little bit opaque to the outside world, not as opaque as Apple. Apple is, is really opaque to what goes on, on the inside, but Google's pretty opaque. What was, your, what was it like working at Google? It was a little bit of time, you know, a little while ago when I left Google was uh, 2010. It was eight years ago, uh, but I still have a lot of friends there. I go back and get free lunch all the time because we're only 10 minutes away. Right. That's another reason we picked this location because, you know, we I can get free lunch. I can, you know, hire great engineers from Google uh, really easily. Uh, well, not very easy because these people are paid really well inside Google. Uh, Google is a great company. I, I, it's the best company I've ever worked with. Uh, although, you know, it, I think uh, uh, AI Sense will be even better. It's the engi- engineering-driven mindset that's different than a lot of uh, in old-style companies. You know, uh, I did my PhD at Stanford. You know, Google's founders came from Stanford. You know, the, the, uh, Larry Page and Sergey were two PhD students at Stanford uh, uh, Computer Science Department. And later, uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, he actually, you know, the CEO of at Google for a long time. Uh-huh. You know, you know, I remember that, you know, once we had this all-hand meeting at Google when I was still there, uh, Eric Schmidt said, you know, uh, they want to make sure Google continue to have this engineering-driven uh, mindset. It's um, because he said, you know, Three of us, Larry Page, Sergey, and Eric Schmidt, they're all computer scientists. They said, he said, and as long as we are on the top of the, you know, the management team, you know, we want to make sure this is the culture we want to maintain. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people have said that the engineering culture has been to the detriment in the sense of being being failed to to get uh, social media success, right? They've they've struggled so hard to have a, a product. That's true. In the social. I think that's true. Yeah, every company has their own DNA and they have their own strengths and their own weaknesses. It's it's they Google Plus Google Plus almost made it and I've got my own theories what they could have done to to make it a success. But uh, yeah, it's, it's they've really they've really tried hard but on the engineering side of things, I mean I mean the the most um, recent CEO cuz they they split it out into Alphabet, etc. The most recent CEO has basically said that they now an AI company essentially oh, yeah. right yeah 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 google claims they're an ai company now so AI yeah, is you know remember uh um mark andreessen said a while ago that uh, software is eating the world mm-hmm. now we're saying that ai is eating the world now it's very interesting uh actually another piece of information my phd advisor uh it's a professor at uh, stanford he actually is the first one who wrote a check to Larry Page and Sergey back in 90, uh, 1997. Who was, who was uh, that, Sam? His name is David Sheraton. Uh-huh. I can show you. He wrote a check of $100,000 to Larry Page and Sergey to start um, Google, uh, this guy. Uh, that based on current valuations, would be worth a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, $100 became a few billion dollars. Um, wow. One, 
Google went IPO. So uh-huh. that's probably the the best angel investment in the history. <laughs> Turning a hundred thousand dollars into a few billion dollars. Well, he he backed them. You know, uh, it's it's. How many of those cases have landed up being nothing? So good, good for him. That's a uh, that's interesting bit of history there, and that's what's so interesting about the the Bay Area. It's really quite a a unique place, and even with distributed teams and you know different ecosystems evolving, there's there's still nothing quite like the Bay Area. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy actually he himself got, uh, created several comp- very successful companies himself. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, that's why actually Larry Page and Sergey went to him for advice, and he recognized the talents, he recognized the market, and um, you know he has his vision. So that's why he actually you know quickly wrote them a check of hundred thousand dollars. So it's it's not a pure luck. Uh, it has a lot of. Uh, a lot of a reasoning behind it, and he's actually an investor in our company. He's an investor in Otter. It's, it's a strong supporter for us. It sounds like you've got a really, um, very, really high, high profile list of investors there, and that's obviously not just profile that they have. They have profile because they're incredibly smart, successful people, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these people are extremely smart. Um, they. You know they can predict the future. That's why uh, they are uh, so good. You know they uh, they know what will uh, will will work uh, and what uh, will won't work. So they. Uh, Sam, quick quick final question. I could see on your screen that you're running out of batteries and we're running out of time here. Um, and just to preface this, to say to our listeners, we we don't give financial advice on this show. So this is just general discussion. Are there any listed companies? That are, are you know quite well exposed to the AI revolution. Obviously, there's the Googles and the Facebooks and you know the Microsofts. But is there is there any other company that would be interesting for listeners to do some due diligence and research on that are doing interesting thing on AI that that perhaps they can get a little bit of a finger in the pie financially on? Uh, I I. I, I don't quite understand the the question. You mean some large companies oh, or any, any yeah anyone on Nasdaq or, or New York Stock Exchange or that's that's currently listed um, that people can buy some shares in that are that are doing some interesting AI work and you see as um, you know an interesting companies to follow that if people because obviously people can't invest in your company unless they angel or seed or Series A but for the person. The plain, simple person listening to this podcast that wants to buy some stocks in companies that are doing some interesting AI work. Yeah, I wouldn't um, claim to be a financial advisor myself, uh, but I like, you know, I obviously I like Google, uh, Amazon, Facebook. I mean, these people are actually true AI companies. A lot of uh, because of the AI revolution, a lot of people claim they're doing AI now, but. Yeah. Um, not not many are actually doing real AI. Um, they just want to jump onto the AI bandwagon and and uh, brand themselves AI, of AI. The buzzword. Um, yeah, the buzz is a buzzword. But it, if you look at their product, you know the same old product. Um, but you know, it, you know this field. You know Tesla is good. I mean the, the the you know I'm always a big fan of Elon Musk. 
you know, it, it's still risky. Because, you know, it's a lot of challenges. Um, you know, Tesla is great. Uh, Amazon is obvious. I mean, this, this is this is not news for your uh, listeners. I mean, they, they, these are uh, uh, common sense now. Yeah, I, I'm definitely. I'm going to do some research to see if there's any any other companies on the on the fringes. But Sam, it's been a really fantastic chat. I've been chatting with uh, Sam Liang, who's the CEO and co-founder of AI Sense, which creates the which creates Otter. It's a really fantastic app, and that's iterating fast. I encourage you to download it and have a play. It's on um, Google Play for Android and for iOS. Sam, uh, we wish you all the success with your product. I think it is going to be successful. It is it is quite uh, quite obvious, and um, look forward to staying in touch. And I appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, it's the last words. Uh, I think uh-huh. uh, we can provide the transcript for your uh, listeners Fantastic. for this podcast so that um, you know they can easily find the part they're interested in. And also for your future podcast, we can also provide some service so that you, know, you can organize all your uh, uh, podcasts in this system. Thanks, Sam. We'll, we'll definitely put your, your auto-generated uh, transcript up on the show uh, notes at itsamonkey.com. So thanks for your time again. Thank you, Kevin. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, I've actually been um, using the Otter app while we've been chatting. I, I sort of have been using it to transcribe our interview and just watching it. And um, it's super, super interesting. The, the part of the app that I like the most is when it goes back after 20 seconds and auto-corrects a word based on the context that then gets brought forward. That That's sort of still... It's got like a little sort of robotic feel to it. That's that sort of a you know that a computer's a computer programs watching you, and when it sees an error that it didn't see before, it goes back and fixes it. It's, it's quite. It's a little bit trippy that. Yeah, no the the AI that he spoke about sounded super interesting, and the ability that they're working on now to create summaries. So. If you think about that, the AI is listening and understanding what it's transcribing, and that's how it's doing like a self-edit process to make sure that the transcript makes sense. But then also it's going to understand it enough to create like a short summary of it at the end so that someone else who wants to read it who doesn't attend the particular meeting can go back and, and get the brief version rather than reading the entire conversation. I love it. I love the world of machine learning and, and AI. It's just so interesting. It's just really, really great. And I mean, he did say that there are still a few problems that they haven't solved. And I stumbled upon one of them the other day where I was showing a friend this other app and we were both talking at the same time. And yes, the app the app got confused, right? It didn't. And, and that they still need to. And they'll get there because every voice has got a signature. So you'll be able to hone in and somehow 
disentangle that. So there's a few big problems that still need to be solved. And of course, voice transcription has been around for 20 years, but uh, it's always the last 10% that is the hardest, but also the most useful that actually makes it useful at all. Because if it breaks down in the last 10% and you've got to spend three hours correcting it, well, you may as well just transcribe it from scratch type thing. Yeah, definitely. It would take a lot of time though. So I think something like this is it's good for saving time. I had a brief look at it when you sent through the transcript of the interview. I think it did mm-hmm. a good job. But as you said, there's still a few bugs, especially when you're both talking at the same time. Some of the grammar and like it's a little bit off, but it's still really good considering it's it's just listening to you. Yeah, it's still super impressive. It's uh to automatically have a transcript for the show on that occasion, someone would would want to get a transcript. Is I mean, you know, it costs. I'm trying to remember how much it costs us a couple of hundred bucks to get a human to transcribe this show, and what would be the difference in accuracy? Probably quite small. Humans make errors too. Um, at least the errors that computers make tend to be consistent and fixable over time, whereas humans make inconsistent errors. But I think. I think where it's really interesting is, is the machine learning wave that's happening. And I think, I'm not sure if, if some people, um, I'm constantly sitting at, at dinners explaining to people this, this new world when they look at me with these blank, half fearful faces, like just like because of, of this world that's, that's, that's about to come with machine learning. It's not going to be, not going to be that scary, but, um, it's, it's going to be a lot, a, a lot of change. And as always, every, every, seen in the earlier chat it's the good always comes along with the, the the tricky and the unintended consequences and a lot of these technologies can be used for good and for evil but um, anyway a transcribing app i don't think i think it's pretty benign i can't really see how, how this uh, but depends if you're spying on someone if you're spying on someone's conversation and you're recording it it'd be less less obvious i suppose than if you sat in the corner and typed every word then if you just ran auto and then you've got a transcript of what somebody said at what time and what day and you can hold them accountable to that, it could be dangerous. It's true, but you can, you've got recording apps without transcription for that in any case. So Otter doesn't really, you know, Otter doesn't really itself doesn't really make that any more dangerous. It just gives you a transcript. But yes, having a phone recorder I mean, there was a thing with Trump recently and his lawyer and his lawyer recorded something. And yeah, I mean, there's a reason why there's laws that if you are recording someone, you have to tell them because uh, it's, uh, it's not, not something any of us want to be, be, have, uh, be secretly recording. But there's, everything's a recording device. I mean, I know people that don't put Alexa and Google Home in their home because these devices are always listening. And on Google, you can check the voice clips that it's saved when you've gone, okay, Google, etc. And sometimes you trigger it incorrectly and it starts recording. And I checked my account and there were a few voice clips where it triggered incorrectly and recorded some conversation between me and a friend. And they were pretty benign conversations, but it's, it's a problem. I mean, if they recorded some sensitive discussion and suddenly there's a record of it, it can be used for evil, etc. We've got recording devices everywhere. You know, when I first got into radio, Kate, one of the first things they taught us was if there's a microphone, this was in the days before smartphones, if there was a microphone around, assume that it's on Mm. because one day it will be, right? And it was drilled into us and and on the odd occasion someone messed that up and there there were disasters and people 
especially you have two studios, one's online, one's offline. They think they're in the offline studio. They start, uh, you know, bitching about their boss and it's going live oh to air. Gosh. And it's, it happened, not a lot, but it, it did. And these days there's recording devices everywhere. So what do you do? Your phone, your Alexa, your Google Home. Like it's just, you know, your friend's phone that you've got no control over. So it's, it's, you know, 1984, George Orwell, just constant surveillance indirectly. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, for sure. I still think like the, yeah, the the home devices are probably the closest thing we've got to 24-7, inverted commas, surveillance. And I know we have our phones and stuff following us, but I, I feel like you kind of actively have to start recording them. But again, yeah, as you said, like other people are recording and you wouldn't even know. Yeah, it's it's an issue. I suppose you just don't you just don't say anything that's going to get you into trouble. <laughs> it's as simple as that. We'll all just walk around just just mute, right? Not saying anything. I mean, that's a shame as well, you know. I mean, you know, being you know, all the great people of the world push the boundaries and challenge the status quo. And if we're all just walking around, then we've lost and we've just, how do we challenge the status quo, Kate? Oh, you do, you leak it anonymously. (laughs) You become Julian Assange. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hold up in an Ecuadorian embassy. Do you, um, do you use Alexa or Google Home? No, I don't. I've like, I've tried it out at a friend's place, but I haven't, never had one myself. And I, I don't know that I would at this stage of the game. Maybe if I had a nice big house and everything was fancy and I had all the gadgets to go with it, you know, like turn the oven on it, you know, 10 minutes before I drive home and open the garage as I'm coming down the street. Maybe, but like you've got to have all those automatic Bluetooth enabled things in your house to start with. So I don't I don't know that I would use it anytime soon. I think the future of the smart home is going to be totally wired up You'll be able to talk to your home anywhere. You'll be just wandering around your home and you'll just say, yep, bring the car around. And mm. boom, it comes around. And um, yeah, the smart home, smart home, that's the that's the next wave. Do you use Siri though a lot? No. <laughs> I don't think Siri is doing particularly well in comparison to Google, for example. Uh-huh. Google's a lot more... Um, I don't know, like even when I when I have played with the Google Home, you can say, okay, Google, and sort of talk to it in a casual manner and it, and it usually gets it right. Whereas Siri still doesn't really get it right. So let's try Okay, Google. I'm here. Wow, I triggered. I tricked, did I, how did I manage I to trigger yours? I don't know how you triggered mine. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got an apple, right? weird. <laughs> you've got an apple. Yeah, I think it's because I said... Siri still hasn't quite got it right. She heard Siri. <laughs> okay, Google. Tell me how good is my podcast? Here are the top search results. No, it just gives search results. It's always disappointing when it gives search results. Yeah, it's like a default response. Yeah. I do like it when you ask what the meaning of life is. Okay, Google. What is the meaning of life? 42. 42. 42. That's from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay. I think, yeah. So that's cute, but they're still a bit cute. 
So Siri, Siri can rap. If you ask her to, to beatbox, she'll beatbox for you. <laughs> Great. We've got all this technology, and this is what we're doing, asking them the meaning of life and asking them to rap. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we would have flying cars, Kate. Yeah, I want my phone to beatbox to me. It's yeah. a dream. <laughs> Fair enough. No. We're going we're gonna to end it there. You've been listening to Kate Propel and Kevin Garber. Feel free to drop us a line if you're listening. Yeah, uh, we've got some, some really interesting episodes coming up. We're trying to get these out once a week. If you've made it this far on the podcast, thank you. We know that you're listening. The stats show it. So um, let us know who you are and uh, how we can make the show better. I'd love to know how we can make the show better. It's um, difficult with podcasts. It's not like online content. You don't get many stats besides the fact that people start listening to the show. On online, you get clicks and time spent and all sorts of uh, interesting info. But podcasts, the analytics are still pretty basic, which makes it a little bit difficult for us to iterate and change. So um, send us some feedback. We would appreciate it. So uh, have a good week. And uh, thanks for joining Kate and myself. Bye.